0: your state your team your show this is sports nightly
1: missouri in the backfield from the 23 yard line snap back play action back to throw as martinez has some time sets guns to the end zone. open as jd makes a catch touchdown nebraska how about that Zippy Dudek down the field, Martinez to JD Spielman.
0: Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family, with over six thousand new and pre-owned vehicles in stock. Visit Woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin.
1: Welcome. Tuesday Night Sports Finally here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good day today. Another yeah, gorgeous day. My goodness, we're getting spoiled, but you better soak these in. We know it's going to turn, right, at some point in time. Going to do that, but gorgeous day outside today. We got a full boat for you tonight. We just have one hour of of the Ben and Greg show, and then uh, we'll bring in some real broadcasters. John Bader will be here in hour number two for the Nebraska volleyball show with head coach John Cook. Big weekend, big weekend for the Husker volleyball team as they'll travel up north to play both Minnesota and Wisconsin over the weekend. The league race uh, will be determined this weekend, so a huge couple of days for. The Oscar volleyball squad, so the head coach and John Bader in here for hour two. Women's basketball show in hour number three, Matt Cotney and Amy Williams will be here. the Oscar women undefeated and back in action tomorrow night against Southern at Pinnacle Bank Arena. So they'll have hour number three of the program. We're going to give you a practice report with comments from Eric Shenander coming up here in just a little bit. Ben, as Tim mentioned, they're rolling through now the third edition of the college football playoff poll. And they're just getting into the top 10 now. Minnesota pops up at number 10. The Gophers only fell from 8th to 10th, even though they lost on the road to Iowa. So still in the top 10 is Minnesota. One thing that has struck me about this, and I don't anticipate, and maybe you'll differ with me, Ben, I don't anticipate any change at the top. I think it'll be LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia again, one through four. But as I was looking to the pool, and I might have missed it, and the guys in the back, Austin or Tim, can tell me, but... I believe that Clemson's the only ACC team in the top 25. And, uh, I mean, Clemson's going to make it if they don't lose a game, and and they are the defending champions. But, man, one school in that whole league in the top 25 in this thing, that's that's a weak conference, right?
2: Yeah, and I think it kind of puts to fruition everything that we thought of that league coming in. And if not, it's even more of an indictment on how bad the ACC is. Because you think about, Greg, some of the teams that were going to be in that conversation, a lot of people were really high on Virginia. Virginia Tech is always a team that's hovering right around that top 25. This was supposed to be the year in which Willie Taggart kind of got things straightened out at Florida State considering how they finished last year. They finished year one much like Nebraska did on on a nice streak there to finish it out. Miami was supposed to have their one of their best teams in a long time. You go back to that first game with the Florida Gators all the way back in week zero. How much talk there was about the Hurricanes, and you know there were a couple of other teams that were coming off good years, teams like Syracuse and um, you know that that mantra of team North Carolina had a new coach with Mack Brown. I I feel like the ACC has taken such a step backwards that um, it's it's. You're really having to start to weigh that with the brand recognition of Clemson because that's something that Alabama has always had. They had the name brand, plus they had the conference power in the SEC. So even if the brand of Alabama wasn't as good, they always had the SEC conference to kind of boost their reputation just because of the league that they were in. Clemson doesn't get that same benefit, um, and we're seeing that play out. I mean, the biggest mover so far, Greg, through the first Uh, all the way up until the the top eight spots, is Auburn. And Auburn only dropped three spots with a loss to Georgia. So, I mean, I think that kind of proves the point that, you know, the ACC wouldn't get that same benefit of the doubt as the SEC does. Correct. Clemson's non-conference schedule, what they
1: can control, what they can go add above the ACC schedule that they have to play as they're in that league. They did. They will play. They haven't played them yet, both yet, but they will play two SEC schools. They have the yearly battle with South Carolina. That's the in-state rivalry game. So South Carolina. SEC team. They did play A&M early in the season, week number two. So two of the games that they of the four they control, they they are playing SEC teams. So they are playing ten of their twelve against power five schools, and then they'll get another one in the ACC title game. The other two are Charlotte and Wolford. So I, it's kind of hard for me to pick at Clemson because I think they did all they could by playing two SEC teams. In the non-conference, but it's just such a weak league and, and where the Big Ten is certainly very, very competitive at the top and the SEC we know is really competitive at the top. But Clemson certainly is in the right place being in that ACC conference. They're now revealing the top six. One and two and three are all the same. LSU one, Ohio State two, and there's Clemson at three. And, and Georgia isn't going to move. They're going to be four because they went on the road and beat Auburn this week, and you just talked about that Auburn didn't fall very much, even though they picked up another loss. Um, and my guess is Bama's going to hang on to the five spot, although maybe they jump, maybe maybe Oregon jumps Bama this week. That might be the only drama we're about to find out who is four and who is five and six in this thing. But uh, to me, it's it's. Clemson's benefiting from a really bad league, but it's hard for me to really pick at them, Ben, because they are playing two SEC teams in that non-conference schedule.
2: They are, but at the same time, I don't really feel sorry for them because they're down a conference game, and every other, basically every other uh, Power 5 school that is not the ACC or the SEC is playing 10 as well because they're playing the nine conference games, and almost all, if not all, Have at least one other Power Five game in their non cons So, uh, I mean, if Clemson's going to get a kudos and a a good job buddy and an attaboy for playing two Power Fives in the non-con, well, well, welcome to the everybody else's world. Right. But but where I do have an issue with
1: Alabama's choices for their non-league games, a little harder for me to poke a lot of holes in Clemson because they are playing of their four non-cons, they are playing two SEC teams. So they, they make up for that. And right. there was no change. The top six remained exactly the same. Actually, the top seven remained the same with, with Utah at number seven as well. Bama's still hanging there at the five spot. We talked about it with, with um, Adam last night. You, when, when, you, when it comes at the end of the year, when you evaluate Alabama, you're going to have to take into consideration that their starting quarterback is not going to be around for any playoff games. We'll see if that tweaks it when we get closer to uh, the selection day in a couple of weeks. is getting ready for the Maryland Terrapins. Um, If you still have some thoughts about Saturday's game with Wisconsin, we got into a lot of extension talk last night with the head football coach being extended two years of this contract. If you want to relive that, we certainly can get into that tonight as well. But it's hard for me (laughs) to still consider Maryland a Big Ten team, Ben. We've played them once since they've been in the league. It's been a couple of years since we faced them in a lot of ways as I'm prepping for this one for Saturday, it feels like a non-conference game getting
2: ready for Maryland. Well, yeah, and then you consider, you know, how, what their roster is comprised of. It's it's a lot of freshmen and it's a lot of transfers. Yeah. So they're they're not even names that you've heard a whole lot of. I mean, even if they are, they they've made their names at other schools. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, this isn't like you're you're playing Iowa or you're playing Northwestern who had uh thorson there for about 12 years or you know what i mean you're you're hearing the same names over and over and over and over again in college football this is i mean even if we were to play maryland from year to year you know they're they're starting so many young players and so many transfers that we wouldn't even really recognize them so we're going to a place for the first time and facing a a head coach for the first time and and a roster full of new players yeah, it's not surprising that this one feels like a one-off.
1: Sure does. And, and they did not play last week. They had a bye week. They've not. It's like Nebraska. They haven't won for a long time. I'm sure they're trying to rally the troops, and it's going to be their senior day. This is their last home game. They finish the season at Michigan State. So they'll they'll be, I think, some emotion in the stadium for the, for the Terps. They should be fired up. And, you got to think Nebraska coming off of a performance where I think the guys kept their head, held their head up. I think Nebraska's going to be uh, excited for this one on Saturday. Certainly hope so. And we're going to get into some Coach Genander clips here in just uh, a couple of minutes. So that's what we have here on the program tonight. Just an hour of Ben and Iman in the volleyball show at 7. And in hour 3, we'll have our women's basketball
0: show. Every practice.
3: We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it.
0: All season long.
3: There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it.
0: It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Time
1: to replace your roof? Call JTEC, the official exterior expert to the Huskers, for a free estimate JTEC Construction. Is a family-owned company with locations in Lincoln, Omaha, and Grand Island. Eric Shinander, Husker defensive coordinator, met with the media today and started, Let's start off with his takeaways from the Wisconsin game.
4: Yeah, uh, obviously didn't didn't tackle very good in the secondary. Uh, you know, there was times when we played really really good, like you wanted to. Times where you didn't play really really good. Kind of, uh, you know, same script which has to change. You know, we get a turnover and, and things, don't, things go good on offense. We get a kick return for a touchdown, then the offense scores, and we have a bad drive on defense, then we get a three and out. And, it's, you know, it, it's kind of the same script. It's got to be complementary football, and we got to all be working together.
1: Tackling was, was not as good Saturday, Ben, as it's been in other games, and I would probably give Saturday's defensive effort probably a C.
4: Yeah,
2: I'm thinking C C minus for me, and you know there were, there were times where they they did a good job, you know, getting Taylor at the hips and and going at his thighs and making sure that that he could go down. And I but I, unfortunately, for as many times as you saw a good tackle, you saw two or three that were big time shoulder hits, and uh, you know try to go for the knockout blow against that dude who's 225 pounds. It's just not going to end well. And And to me, the biggest disappointment in terms of tackling in one play wasn't even on Jonathan Taylor. It was the long touchdown pass. That, that Wisconsin hit, that he broke at least two or three tackles to get into the end zone. So, yeah, I understand Coach's frustration there.
1: The other Taylor, A.J. Taylor, was the one that had the catch and then the run into the end zone. To me, the highlights for the defense, the three and out to start the third quarter when Nebraska was down 13, that gave Nebraska a chance to get back to within a score. And then three times, Wisconsin gets in the red zone and had to settle for field goals. To me, those are in a lot of ways are wins when you're holding a team to threes instead of sevens. Uh, But there were, you know, there were enough other things, the missed tackles, and that kind of pulls that grade down. How about what needs to improve? This is a fairly lengthy answer, but we felt like it was good enough that we really wanted to let it play out the whole way that he answered this question. So here's Eric Chenander on what needs improvement.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to point to that things are moving in the right direction. Um, There's a lot of things on the outside that look like there's, you know, it's not. You know, you, you can't give up on, on the on the one drive after I think our our offense scored a touchdown early. You know, you can't give up, miss tackles on a screen on third down and let them get the chains, and then miss a tackle on a slant. Post safety misses a tackle on the slant and it goes for a touchdown. You can't do that stuff. You, you make those tackles. The, the thing that you have to keep emphasizing to these guys is, we are beating ourselves right now, and it's not them. It's not. Me, it's we. We are beating ourselves. It's missing that tackle, missing those tackles, missing a few key assignments, not getting off the ball on, on, uh, or not getting off the field on third down changes the game dramatically. If you can get those things corrected, guys, you may have only given up 10 points, 13 points on defense. I know there's other points scored in the game in other situations like we already talked about, but you could have decreased. Every football game we've played, you could have decreased the amount of points scored by at least ten, at least ten, probably more. Indiana, we couldn't get the field on third down. You know, and it's if if you if the offense busts on third down, you punt it and you move on. Everybody's happy. If we bust on third down, they get another set of downs. They get to keep moving the sticks, keep moving the sticks, keep moving the sticks. It's magnified a lot on defense. You have to you have to get it done.
2: Your thoughts, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot there, and and, and the interesting thing to me, Greg, is is going to be, and again, there's still a couple games left in this season. We're going to have all summer to do this. But when I go back and rewatch all the games, you know, it, I, I'm going to make it a point to document all the times um, where where you saw the breakdowns happen on defense and when they happen, and it, and it all started with Colorado it all started I mean really Greg you go back to that first drive against Colorado and I know know, the Husker defense dominated that first half with Colorado but the play with Lamar Jackson I don't know if you remember the play I'm talking about it was third and a mile on that first drive Lamar Jackson gets a late hit and that's 15 yards and a first down I mean it's it's been all year that this type of stuff has happened and it's not just penalties it's it's missed tackles it's blown assignments it's you know, converting third downs, it's, you know, biting on the flea flicker, all those types of things pl- have played into it. And it would be interesting to see you know on all those breakdowns how many points throughout the season that 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 accumulated to what that total accumulated to and I think that was a little bit what coach was talking about right there
1: and uh, yeah no question and I do remember that play it was the Huskers had Colorado backed up deep in their own end early in the game you're trying to set the tempo a little bit you and it was a a semi-questionable call because Lamar hit him. Yeah, but it was, it was one of those ones where you weren't quite sure what he should have done there. But it made the defense play a few more snaps, which obviously caught up to him in the second half of that game. Uh, third down was pretty good Saturday. They held the Badgers to 3 of 9 on third down. So they actually did a pretty good job on the third downs against the Badgers in that game. But I thought that was an interesting comment from him. And so um, glad we are able to play that for you there. Now, uh, giving up points. What about uh, Coach Schneider talking about the points that they've been giving up? You, know, you heard Scott Frost talking about they need to keep teams under 30 points.
4: Uh, I mean, obviously, points is king right now, right? I mean, it's, it's who has the most points on the board. Um, and we didn't have more on the board, for sure. Uh, the other ones, I mean, it's hard to take into account. You know, it's, uh, points given up is an is a interesting stat. You know, obviously, you want them to be really low. But if that happens on special teams or if it's an offensive uh, you know, turnover for a touchdown, it goes against us. Um, so when that happens, we have to be able to put the fire out and not allow them to score any on defense. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's got to be complimentary football. If a bad thing happens on the other side, we have to have good things happen to us and, and back everybody up. Uh, but obviously, you know, you want to allow as little points as possible. If we can allow very little points, we're going to win a lot of football games.
1: Feel like this is going to get talked about a lot in the coming weeks. How many points that defense has been given up week to week,
2: specifically on the road? I mean, that those numbers on the road have been way, way, way too high. And 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 he, he is right. You know, there are certain circumstances that put the defense behind the eight ball. But you know, I'm going back again to early in the season. We all the talk was from the defense, Greg, is how they embraced those situations. You know, there, there's never a time that they don't want to be on the field. And, you know, Mo Berry told – I hate to keep going back to the Colorado game, but Mo Berry told us that after Colorado. I want to play with guys that want to be on the field all the time. I know we played a lot of snaps, but, you know, if you don't want to be out there, then, then what are you doing? Um, but, but, again, I think, again, that, that it all goes back to the big picture of how all three facets of the game play off of one another or, or how they don't and how they affect one another – because so many times in this season we have seen bad play on on one side of the ball one of those three phases start to trickle into the other two and and that leads to losses and that's happened too many times
1: you go to the colorado game i I can't shake the purdue game where that defense was so good for the first half but gave up two 90 yard plus drives in the second quarter which gave up nebraska valley 90 yard drives and you had multiple opportunities to get off the field in that game, and they could not get it done in those cases. All right, um, personnel moves. We noticed last week, Ben, DiCaprio Boodle was playing quite a bit of safety, and Cam Tater britt was getting moved to corner where he'd been playing safety for over a month and really since the injury to Deontay Williams in week one. What about this move?
4: no i mean right now you know when you had obviously when you had deontay williams and and markel is healthy you have a a good stable of safeties back there deontay's hurt markel's hurt now cam is a, a lot better at corner or in the slot and so dicaprio is a really intelligent football player it's just a better move to have him at safety right now and cam at corner
1: and how much do you think ben they're they're trying to protect cam's shoulder by moving him to that kind of a nickel or the outside boundary corner
2: yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's shoulder. I don't know what the deal was uh, on Saturday. Maybe maybe it was concussion protocol, and he passed, and he was able to get back in. Uh, usually when they take the helmet away, it, to me that indicates head injury, and he didn't have his helmet with him uh, whenever that, that report came out from the sideline, but um, apparently he passed the protocol was able to get back in. I, I don't know. He's just so banged up, Greg. It's the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, it was the knee. Remember the knee that he went out with? and. And and that apparently the head and the sickness. I mean, this kid just can't stay on the field. But yeah, I mean, I think you know you need him out there wherever it may be. If you need to move guys around to, to keep five on the field, you got to do it. And,
1: and both Eric Chenander and Travis Fisher today, Ben talked about and and let it out that markell has been banged up, but that he hasn't missed a practice. He's been out there even though he's playing injured. I get you know. We're deep enough now to the season where pretty much everybody's banged up and beat up, but that's the first today I've heard that Markell's been fighting his way
2: through injuries. You wouldn't know it because he hardly misses a snap. Yeah, Markell is as tough as they come. I mean, there was a game of, uh, a few games back to where he he was down on the ground and, and we reported the injury and he came back out with one of those big neck rolls on. And uh, it's the same one that Antonio Reed that you'll remember wore the last few games last year and so he's been wearing that the last couple of games and and that that's a telltale sign that your shoulder your neck something up in your upper body is not right and uh, markel would, would never i mean we, we don't hear a lot from him anyway but he would never come out and be the one to say you know i i'm not i'm not good to go i, I can't go I you know this this is hindering me and make excuses that he's not that type of kid at all and I think he's earned a lot of respect. And if he hasn't, he should have from from a lot of Husker fans with the heart um, and physicality and toughness that he's shown this year.
1: All right, uh, and we'll finish it off. Ty Robinson, the true freshman defensive lineman. We saw him get, oh, it was um, a dozen or so snaps on Saturday against that huge offensive line for Wisconsin. Here's Eric Chinater talking about Ty.
4: Yeah, he's he's continued to get better every every day. Um, he's a guy that's going to continue to get better. He's another guy. He went in there as a, as a true freshman, played against, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the country and held his own. So that, that's a very, very positive thing to see.
1: And talk today from Tony Tuioti that he may get – he may double that number of snaps on Saturday. They're going to take him to Maryland. Uh, they're still hopeful that Darian Daniels can go, but – I'm okay with that. I thought Ty stood up pretty well in there. You got the field version, field uh, eye level version of that
2: thing. What'd you think of 99s out there? I thought the same thing. I, every time he was out there, I tried to watch him on the play, and I thought he wasn't given much ground. Which, as coach said, you know, he was going up against a, an NFL center. Um, I was very impressed with the way. He, I mean, he is so big. Oh. I mean, you look at him in pads, and you're like, "Yep, this this guy's a player. This is this is a dude." And, and he certainly played that way and um, not exactly dipping his toe in the water. That's jumping in the deep end. To, as, as your first college game to go up against one of the best single units in college football, um, I'm sure he has to be proud of uh, – of the way that he's that he performed.
1: And hey, listen, with losing Daring and Daniels to graduation and both Davis twins, that's a good sign that 99 looks like he can hold his own at the If you can hold your own against Wisconsin's offensive line, you're probably going to be pretty good most weeks uh, when you line up to play for the Huskers. All right, there's our JTech practice report for tonight. Phone line's back open for you at 866 Husker 18664875371. Let's go to the phones. Pete in West Point joins us next. Good evening, Pete.
0: Good evening.
3: How are you guys doing? Good. I've got a question, I guess, for, for Ben. You break down a lot of film. One of the things I noticed, we play our safeties quite a ways off the line of scrimmage. And anytime you put your safeties a long ways off the line of scrimmage, it really makes it harder to make a tackle because the running back usually is freed up off the line, and that safety has to come up on a full bore. To, uh, to try to make that tackle. Uh, I think it's much easier to make a tackle if, you, if you're if you not going full speed and you're up close to the line of sc- scrimmage. The other thing is on special teams, I know they've been taking a lot of the freshmen that's going to redshirt and they've been putting them on uh, special teams and rotating them. Do you think that's hurting our special teams? I'll hang up and listen to you guys.
1: Enjoy your show. You have a good evening. Thanks.
2: Yeah, thanks, Pete. Uh, Two really, really good points. Um, The first one to the safeties. I do notice when Nebraska plays a single high, he is quite a ways off the ball. I'm talking 15, 20 yards off the ball. Um, So, yes, I have noticed that too, and there's no doubt that when you're playing a team like Wisconsin, you have to have those safeties. Um, and even the corners too. I'm, I'm remembering last year, Greg Eric Lee got to start at corner over Lamar Jackson because he was a be, he was a much better tackler and, and he tackled very well in that game. But yeah, there's no doubt that that's a really good point by you that you know that you've noticed those guys coming off the ball, lining it so far up off the ball, especially you know last week with a team like Wisconsin when you need those guys making tackles. You'd hope within five yards of that line of scrimmage. Um, and then to the special teams, you're right. Coach Frass, Frost addressed that at his press conference yesterday about about that very thing about you know having their starters play so many different so many snaps throughout the game that they're giving those walk-ons a chance to get out there and and get some snaps to spell those guys and you know take some of the beating off their bodies. So two good points. Yeah, you heard Coach Frost
1: yesterday at the press conference. He talked about. That there were some guys not in their right lanes on that kick return that went back for a touchdown. And then neither Barrett or Cam Tater Britt, who was the the last guy we were able to get him down and get him out of bounds so I think there were some lanes that were missed on that kick coverage and you're rolling some guys in there and um, maybe some inexperience hurt Nebraska in that kick return game so I, that's a great point it's something I haven't thought much about Ben that you're letting these guys get their three or four games and that's where you're probably going to break them in but if they're not out there week after week after week you're more susceptible to making a mistake and maybe not being right where you should be on those coverage units.
2: You are, and 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 it starts with the kick, number one. Correct. Yeah, um, that that's where it starts. But yeah, occupying blockers, getting off blocks, staying in your lane, um, and then of course the, the last part. And Coach Frost again broke this part down for us yesterday as well. Was your kicker and your safety guy. Both of those guys need to come in and be involved as well. So you know there there are a lot of moving parts to the to the kickoff. And unfortunately for Nebraska. It hasn't been executed in very many of those parts this yep. year
0: it is not this is the nebraska volleyball radio show right here on the husker sports network
3: kubik serves McLean good pass quick attack in the middle emma monks has been quiet great diving dig by kenzie and a big rip by Nicholas Haynes. she's got four kills the center has four kills already for nebraska with no errors on five swings seven for nebraska
0: with husker head volleyball coach john cook kenzie serves it's in Area over
3: past hours put down by Skipper. Going around till 24 20. Steering at the abyss. Nebraska hits four save points with 10 at 24.
0: Now, here's your host of the Nebraska Volleyball Show, John Baylor.
3: Greetings, Nebraska, and welcome inside the Bob Devaney Sports Center, Nebraska Innovation Campus, where tonight. Your Huskers try to win their sixth straight. The Big Red is 21 and 3, 13 and 2 in the conference, and will face Iowa's Hawkeyes 9 and 17 and 3 and 12 in the Big Ten. Right side swing. Kendra Hansen, she gets blocked. That's six in a row for Nebraska. Lexi Sun with the big block, 19 17. Huskers. And a free ball again by Adina Schmidt. Jack back, Nebraska. Jazz's third swing in the rally. Slip point, Big Red. 25 20 but it was a lot closer than that score suggests. Good control block, Nicklin. Now Nebraska left front. Maddie Kubik, kaboom! She is falling, tumbling into the floor, official. It's a sharp angle. What a shot. Kenzie serves. It's in. Nazaria overpass. Jowers put down by Stevens. 4 round. Down 24-20. Steering at the abyss. Nebraska gets four straight points.
5: Return at 24. They started... Tighter huddles, looking in the eye, communicating better, playing for each other. And volleyball is a momentum sport and the game gets away from you fast when you're not dialed in. So we had to raise our level and I, and. When they needed it, they, they pulled together. So that's a good sign. And, you know, sometimes you just got to win ugly.
3: Free ball back. Great chance here. Huskers dictating at 24 eats in the middle. Swimming 25, 24, you know who? Again, Iowa, right side. Brazario cross court. Nice up by Nicklin. Travels backwards. Chase down. Right side roll shot. Yes, yes. Out of system termination. How sweet that was. 18 10. Serve goes to Kenzie. Not a good pass. Only choice outside. Lexi, kaboom. Off the ticket out, 24-17. Iowa feeds left. Adina Schmidt from Berlin gets dug. Here come the Huskers, back set. Jazz, three-nothing. Three-nothing in the fifth. Three-zip, Nebraska. Both set to the right, Jazz gets another swing. It's in, it's in. Six-three, Nebraska. Jazz is carrying them offensively right now in the fifth. Four Hawkeyes with double-digit kills, balanced offense, back set, Jazz again, yes. Kaboom! Jazz sweep! 18. team Time for the team lead. They'll switch sides. Eight-four. Set five in Lincoln. Bump left. Hughes, a big swing. Nice up. Husker volleyball. Fed left. Maddie! In! Cross-court and in! 11 for Nebraska. Served to Megan Miller. Guides it to Nicklin. They run the slide. And Lauren Stewart's kaboom! That's point big red. The Huskers win it in five in Lincoln.
5: I think if you'd ask me, uh, you know, beginning of the season... In our non-conference play, if we could be in the position we're in right now, I would say I'd, I'll take it. And uh, I, think, I don't think we can ask for anything better to be going into a big weekend with a lot on the line. And that's what we want. And we want a shot at this. And we're looking forward to the opportunity to see see if we can go to another level.
6: They're both top 10 teams, really good teams. And they have really good atmospheres. So it's hard to play in those gyms. And so you know you have to really go in with a great mindset and get ready for a great battle.
3: Greetings, Nebraska. Welcome to your Nebraska Volleyball Show. Weekly, 7 until 8 p.m. Central Time. With yours truly, John Baylor, and soon to be joined by the head coach of Nebraska Volleyball, John Cook. And this is it, the big week. Friday night, 8 o'clock, Sunday, 1.30. Nebraska faces number 7, Minnesota, Friday night at 8 that one's a sellout. And at number five, Wisconsin, one thirty on Sunday. That is the Big Ten gauntlet. And both those schools, Minnesota and Wisconsin, benefit from the other because all these traveling Big Ten schools that come into play in both have to plan for both of them. There's no let-up all weekend long. So Nebraska faces that number six in the country, the number seven team, and the number five team, all on the heels of Nebraska's sixth consecutive win. It took... A, longer than expected it went 5 as nebraska prevailed in the 5th 15 to 6. You may join us at 866 Husker 1. That's 866 Husker 1 tonight. Let's bring in head coach John Cook,
5: coach. Happy Tuesday. JB, where I just want to know where in the state were you today? Like you're always coming from somewhere. Lincoln, Nebraska. You were in Lincoln today. I was so you mm-hmm. were, yesterday you were in where yesterday i was traveling yeah went to uh fall city fall yesterday city, sacred heart beautiful yeah. down there rival of danny Busboom's old that was uh in uh At adams central yeah. and sacred heart boy yeah.
3: when they lace it up just throw out the records i know that just <laughs> that's a that, great rivalry that is a a rivalry it's fall city beautiful town southeastern yeah. Nebraska. I'm going to norfolk tomorrow norfolk okay I wish I got paid by the mile. Yeah, I, I get this uh, state traversed. Yeah. So much beauty out there.
5: Yeah, JB, I got a great story for you. Yesterday at the press conference, we did the TV thing after the press conference. But Tom Chateau writes for the Omaha World Herald. Came up to me, and he said, uh, "He said, uh, did you ever see Alex Stivens play basketball?" So he's doing a story on Alex Stivens, and he used to cover at the time he. He Maybe he covered Creighton basketball.
3: Barely, or, or probably. No, I'm sorry.
5: Big, big 8 basketball. Big 8. Oops, big eight yep. basketball. That's right. He covered Big 8 basketball. And he said they had a nickname for him like the, I don't know, for like a wingspan because he had super long arms. Anyway, he's doing a story on Alex and Lauren. And I said, well, you know, Tom, you got to ask him. When I first started recruiting Lauren, I sat next to Alex on one side and Bob Lanier on the other because nice. both the daughters played on the same team. And just like you, he got so excited. <laughs> Bob Lanier? <laughs> yeah, Tom, you and I are the only ones in this building right now that know who Bob Lanier is. He was a good one. Yeah. Pistons. Yeah. He goes, How big were his feet?
3: Yep. <laughs> that guy could water ski yeah <laughs> with sneakers. Yeah. Huge.
5: Yeah. Feet. So anyway, I, I, it reminded me of when we were talking about this on the uh, yep. pregame. And, uh, you got fired up, so I did anyway. get fired up. So looking for a story coming out in the uh, Alex and Lauren.
3: Lauren's dad uh, was, in my opinion, easily a top ten all-time Nebraska high school basketball player. Easily, I'm probably offending him. He, arguably top seven. Yeah. But two years at Creighton, then he follows Tom Apke. Yeah. Goes up to uh, Colorado for two years. They somehow only won one uh, state title with him. Yeah. I don't know what was going on, but they won one state title and they were loaded. Yeah. back then at east and i still lauren's been here four years i haven't gotten the full story why didn't he go to nebraska well that's that's
5: what's gonna Oh, okay. tom asked me if i knew he goes why didn't Moaba recruit him yeah and i go i don't know i've never heard the stories so it's coming out i guess <clears throat> some of the good ones get away yeah but anyway uh it was it was fun it's fun to be with old guys that know the old old players. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to be Bob Lanier playing. I'm going to be Bob Lanier today playing. What did you and Bob Lanier chat about? Jerry were... Lucas and Walt Frazier.
3: When you were growing up as a kid. Oh, you yeah. You said you yeah. were those guys. Yeah. Well, That's... I grew up in Lincoln. I would, like, pretend I was Big 8 guys. Oh. I think it was Ricky Frazier played for Missouri. And then, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm drawing blanks. But, yeah, I'd watch that weekly Big 8 basketball game. And uh, Iowa State had that guy. I can't, uh, can't think of their names right now, but Jerry Fort for the Huskers, yeah. Steve Wilkes for the Huskers. Jerry Fort and the Huskers beat South Carolina in 1976, and South Carolina had two future Hall of Famers, Mike Dunleavy and Alex English. Whoa.
5: That was a big one. That was a big one.
3: The old Coliseum. Yeah. A lot of good college hoops. Meanwhile, this is a big week for you. I'm glad you're in a good mood because this is a yeah. tough one for you. But you like this. Oh, yeah. You this, like it
1: this when is what's all, it's all. This is what it's all about. Yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah, we get, a, we get a great test. And, <clears throat> you know, this is great preparation for the NCAA tournament because you got to play two top ten teams mm-hmm. back-to-back. But this is the way that <clears throat> Big Ten is. And and then those guys got to go to Penn State next week. So it's all going to shake out here in the next four matches. It's it great for the fans. It's great for our team to follow this and, and kind of, uh, you know, it's exciting. And, and I told our team, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year the, the week we were playing uh, San Diego <laughs> non conference, you said, Hey, you're going to be in second place with two losses in the Big Ten. Would you take it? I would have taken it in a heartbeat right there. So we're in a position, and now we got to just go see what we can do with it. Tell us the story, the recruiting story of Alexis Hart.
3: This is what I've heard. She's one of their all Americans. They got three yeah. of them over there at yeah. Minnesota. The story I heard, and I've, I've always wanted to ask you if this is true or not, she was close to coming to Nebraska, great outside from the Kansas City area, but she said she didn't like cold weather. Yeah. And next thing you know, she signs with Minnesota. Is yeah. that the story?
5: That's the story. Oh, boy. That uh, just shows you yeah. <laughs> what a 16 year old, 15 year old <laughs> kid, well, how they make decisions.
3: And, and tell us how her experience. And perhaps Adriana Fitzmorris's experience at Stanford, another big recruit that got away, Kansas City area, are different from the kids who came here. Lexi's son and now Matty Kubik.
5: Yeah, well, uh, so uh, Matty Kubik, uh, when the USA team played in Omaha in the finals of the VNL, or it was a it was or it was the NorSeca qualifier, maybe to go to the last Olympics. Yeah, maybe it was the qualifier in Omaha. They had a big tournament. So I went up, and this girl came running up to me and said, "Hey, can I get your picture and autograph?" And you know, she, I'm going to play for you someday. Now I can tell you, I've heard that a th- over a thousand times, but it was Maddie. How old was she? She was she was like in eighth grade. Wow. Yeah. So this is you know this is pre Rio Olympics. So this might have been in 2015, 14, 13, somewhere in there mm-hmm. when when they were got it. Yeah. So. Uh, Anyway, then I started watching her, and she came to camp, and she was just okay, and then uh, the next summer, I went and watched her, so she, I think we might have been going into 10th tenth, tenth grade, summer of going into 10th grade, and I went and watched her down in uh, a USA deal down in Orlando, and I thought, okay, this kid's going to be good, so um, good family and all that, mm. West Des Moines, and so we all Mom her. played at Missouri State. Yep, and Dad played for the Chiefs, mm. offensive lineman, and. Um, if you want to see the future stars, her little sisters, after every home match, they're out there. I was here till midnight and they were out there playing out in the divani till midnight <laughs> after the yeah. Iowa Iowa they, match. They're, they're in the hallways. They're just, and and so anyway, that was a story with Maddie. Uh, and, uh, of course we brought her on a visit and, and she loved it and committed. Uh, and then, you know, I think the other thing when you see with like a Brianna Holman, Alexi's son, um, trying to think of any other transfers we had. But Kelsey, Kelsey, yeah. When they go, a lot of these guys make decisions really early, and then they go somewhere, and that's not what they thought, or it's not a good fit. And then the ones that are serious about having big careers, playing in the Olympics, playing professionally, having a you know, they realize what a great program this is for that. So when they're older, nineteen. 18, 19, 20, making a decision. They see all the things we have here, and they don't go by the weather or, uh, you the know, it's, it's Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, so I think they just have a much more mature outlook on what they want and what Nebraska can do for them. And you commit to Maddie and to Lexi, but I think you also
3: committed, tell me if I'm wrong, to Alexis Hart, who ended up at Minnesota, and Adriana Fitzmorris, who ended up at Stanford, to making them all around six rotation players. Oh, yeah,
5: yeah, we... we I mean, that's part of my job is to prepare these guys to play. This and is why the rule survey just came out, and they, they, they're looking at their ass opinions on changing the sub rules. Eight. It was eight, ten, 12, or leave it the way it is. 18. Or, no, yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, I voted for eight because. Really cut back. Yeah, because then, I mean, that's the way the rest of the world plays. And Everyone has to learn. They, they, play, they only have six subs. So you learn how to be a volleyball player and play the whole game. So it'd be like going back to, you know, we got basketball going on mm-hmm. right now. You three play this half, and you play, three play this half. The old Iowa girls' high school yeah, That's exactly what it is. You, you have front row players, you have back row players. Why not have all-around players, and that's the way the game was designed and should be played, and that's the way the rest of the world plays. On Friday night, she's a senior. Alexis
3: Hart will play three rotations and check out. Yep, yep. And if she had come to Nebraska, you would have committed to
5: making her an all-around player. Yep. I, I made that commitment in the recruiting. So, you know, and that's – I don't know if she wants to play beyond college, but if she can't dig and serve and play defense, uh, you know, and pass, you're not going to play international. <laughs>
3: the one that really sticks out to me is Adriana Fitzmaurice. Yeah. She's 6'6". Six, six? She might be 6'7". Yeah. I mean, she's a legit 6'6". Six, six.
5: Yeah. She checks out after yeah. every
3: three rotations.
5: Yeah. See, I wanted to make her what's called a true opposite – front row hits play opposite which they finally moved her over there and then uh, but I think it you know her senior year or no I'm sorry her junior year and then play back row and hit out of the back row like the dudes do they hit what we call a red and it's I can't wait till we can have a, that system and and we're recruiting for that system down the road here because it's what the international plays what their USA team plays what's the men play and it's it's an awesome system so instead of always hitting out of the back row out of the middle you got to hit a right side hitter and it just allows you to do so many more things what kind of athletes do you need to play that system you, you got to have a big physical bomber basically right hander yeah yep. right hander left hander mm-hmm. doesn't matter but you just got to have somebody that can bomb pavin would bomb from the back right she, pavin was great from the back right yeah she was pretty great yeah <laughs> <laughs> 866 husker one
3: eight six six 866-HUSKER-1. It's always fun to look back at the recruiting stories because yeah. now you just think of these players as gophers and remember the Stanford Cardinal team, but they were this close to yeah. being Huskers and how yeah. different their lives would be, how different our program would be. Yeah. Uh, but you got to be pretty happy
5: with who you got. Oh, yeah, we always are. It always works out. Um, but, you know, Fitz Morris was tough. We recruited her for, I mean, started as a seventh grader mm. because my dentist dad who was a retired dentist he called me up he was down in Kansas City watching a club tournament he says hey there's this girl down here you got a recruiter and he says I'm gonna I'm gonna go make sure she visits and you know so I think it's a 7th grader she showed up with her mom and and uh, anyway it that's when it started of course you know it's hard to recruit against Stanford when they're really good students and she went to a really good uh, private St. James private Catholic school Mm -hmm. down there really high academic standards and um she you know it's tough to go go against Stanford but we gave it everything we had that's how you got Kelly Schwarzenbach some dentist called you from Missouri oh, that and was, no that was Danny Busman's dad at the farmers were all at the, doing their coffee and said so, hey there's this, this girl over in Kearney Nebraska, uh, Missouri you know big tall girl yeah got, you got to tell Danny about her so Danny's dad called her and we they, went and saw her play and Went from there. Thank goodness Gene Busboom and the fellas get That's together right. every Saturday morning That's right, for coffee. Yeah. Maybe every morning yeah. for coffee.
7: <laughs>
0: Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network.
7: Leah Brown doesn't get a screen. Now she does from Izzy Bourne. She'll take another three. He checked three. You betcha. Leah Brown forces a timeout by SIUE, as she's hit two threes in a row.
0: Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball.
7: Comes off long. Who's going to get it? Leah Brown will. Shot clock resets to 20 for Nebraska. Sam Hybe's three. You... Betcha! Sammy hits a three in the deep right corner.
0: With the head coach, Amy Williams.
7: Deep right side, Hannah Whitish for three. You! Betcha! She's two points away from 1,000 for her career.
0: Now here's your host, Matt Cotney.
7: Hey, welcome in to the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. We'll have Coach Amy Williams here for the full hour and a lot going on in Husker Women's Basketball. They're 4-0. and oh. That's what everybody says to me. John Baylor walked out of here, and he goes, you 4-0? And, oh? and I'm like, yeah, that's what we are. A uh, big win over Southern Illinois Edwardsville Sunday afternoon, 64-39. Since we last talked to you, also a win over Morgan State last Thursday. We'll take your calls tonight, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. And Nebraska has uh, two games coming up over the next, what would that be, 72 hours. You've got Southern U tomorrow night, and then... Uh, the yearly matchup with the Creighton Blue Jays Sunday afternoon. But uh, w- before we start talking about basketball on the floor, mm-hmm. I want to take a moment and just kind of dig deep into how fantastic alumni weekend was last weekend. I've been to a lot of alumni events. been to a lot of, of alumni weekends, seen a lot of people introduced on the floor. But from my chair... I was so happy with how that whole thing turned out. You brought back the 2009-10 team to honor them specifically along with the rest of the alumni. That was the first ever Big 12 team to go through the regular season undefeated. They were number one seed in the NC tournament. They went to the Sweet 16. Um, let's talk about bringing that team back. I mean, I don't know how you did it, but you got a lot of that team back. You got... Tori Verdi, an assistant coach back from coaching UMass. He flew back. You got Lindsey Moore, who's an assistant coach at Pacific, back from – I mean, her team's in California. They were playing in the preseason WNIT in Philadelphia. Somehow you got Kelsey Griffin back from Australia. Uh, the only starter that didn't make it back was Vonnie Turner, who was in Europe. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of a lot. How, how
6: did you pull that one off, Amy Williams? Well, I think it's just a testament to um, – that team and how connected and close they really were that connectedness is really kind of I think what helped them to have such great success Um, but to see such an incredible turnout and three members of that coaching staff and um, many many members of that team to be able to you know make the time and effort to come back and reconnect it just shows how special that group was to each other and how much Nebraska meant to them and so we were just really um, grateful that they put forth such incredible effort to come back and the investment that they made in our current program and just really pouring into our current players and team and just spending time you know talking about really what made that special that team special um, what you know was so special about playing for Nebraska and I think it's just a really incredible message it's hard to put um, it's hard to put into words how much that can really mean. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371
7: 866 Husker 1 866 487 5371. If you'd like to visit with Coach Williams tonight in the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. So, after practice Friday night, this is one of the special things I've seen in years. You had your whole team in the locker room, and you had Jessica Periago there, who was part of that team, and she's part of the university staff now in the chemistry department. Yeah. You had Kelsey Griffin, who was a runner-up for National Player of the Year, and then an assistant coach, Tori Verdi, who's now a head coach, current head coach in another Division I team at UMass, talked to the team in blunt, honest details. And I was mesmerized watching this. One, because you have to have a lot of security in yourself to allow those people to address your team. And I thought... And look, there's some coaches that wouldn't allow that. There's some coaches that that would be uncomfortable with that. I applaud you because that was so wonderful to allow that to happen. And I'm trying to, to look at a Kenzie Helms or a Leah Brown or a Kayla Mershon or a Kate Kane. And I'm thinking this had to, at some point, the message that those three people all said had to have some kind of impact you're an alum, you were sitting there watching it. What did you think?
6: Yeah, well, I think just, you know, it was an incredibly special opportunity um, and to watch our players just be glued in and locked in on every word that they were saying and yeah. the message that was kind of being sent. I thought, um, you know, I mean, anytime you have a player, you um, whose jersey is hanging from your rafters and your players can see every day when they walk in um, that's willing to kind of spend time like pouring into um, uh, your current team. I mean, she automatically, Kelsey, you know, kind of warrants those ears to perk open. Mm -hmm. And I thought our players were really just locked in. I thought Tori, I thought Jess, Um, Kelsey they were just incredibly open and honest and talked about the things that made that team so special and I thought it was just incredibly powerful and certainly it was a weekend that was about Nebraska women's basketball program as a whole and uh, the excellence that you know we're striving for and um, so we would have been absolutely missing the boat if we hadn't taken Mm -hmm. advantage of that.
7: I was so impressed and in the list of alumni who came back, not just the 2010 team, so impressive. Going back to Jan Crouch, who I think is the grand dame of Nebraska women's basketball. She played in the 70s and was very instrumental in getting the program off the ground. Sheila McPherson came back from Indianapolis. Karen Nichols, Emily Katie from more recent times. Uh, WNBA legend Anna deforge Jamie Kubik Hagadorn, Katie Morse. I could go on and on and on and um, you know, Brooke Schwartz and it just, and then that that 2010 team obviously got a a huge ovation. Um, I, I don't want to diminish what the other alumni that weren't on the 2010 team Uh, did because they were so important did you ever get did you get any feedback from the non-2010 alumni about what they thought about this weekend because I just thought it was great
6: yeah I mean I think the feedback is just thank you Um, you know everybody's just so appreciative to really connect to the program and to the current team and to you know continue to have reasons to get back together and so I thought it was a really special weekend for all of our alumni and and you know kind of a great opportunity to recognize um, one of the best teams in our program's history but also to bring back everybody that's put blood sweat and tears into making this program what it is and uh, just a really fun filled weekend for everybody
7: the sports nightly hotline is brought to you by woodhouse auto family bringing you more choices in brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is woodhouse if you'd like to talk to coach williams the number is 866 husker 1 let's go out to hall county and talk to chris chris you're on with coach williams
6: hey coach how are you this evening I'm great, Chris. A couple questions for you. When you look at your
4: stat sheets from your games, which stats stand out to you the most? (laughs)
6: <laughs> that's a really good question, Chris. And I think, you know, uh, some of the things that we are always looking at um, as a program is assist to turnover at the end of games because we take great pride in sharing the basketball and really m- moving the ball and, and kind of um, knowing that we like to have a lot of um, assists to made baskets. And that's something we take great pride in. But uh, right now, uh, our focus has really been on um, rebounding and really keeping an eye on and really keying, you know, how many second chance opportunities we're giving our opponent and how many second chance points they're coming away with and just trying to really shore up that area of our game. So, um, you know, those are some really important factors that we stress.
3: And the uh, couple more other questions is, uh, so far earlier season, what can you take away from early in this season compared to last season? And the last question is, is, how much does it affect now where you guys are playing fourteen 10-minute quarters compared to playing uh, two 20-minute halves?
6: Okay, yeah, thank you. The, thank you for those questions. And um, and I would say, you know, to, to answer about the, the quarters versus halves um, is, I would say, um, you know, the big difference there is just, um, you know, I actually, I, I thought I was not going to like four quarters. I was really? nervous. I'm the type of person that's kind of a creature of habit. I yeah. don't always like to embrace change. I absolutely love the four quarters. I think it's really changed with, um, if you have a bad quarter, you get into a little bit of foul trouble, you can kind of reset that foul count and go back to where you're out of the bonus for those lecon- uh, second um, and fourth quarters. Um, I like that a lot. I love the new advance rules at the end of games. I yeah. think it's just Changed our game um, uh, in a positive manner, so that part is um, is something that I'm really excited about. I've kind of slipped my mind. What the
7: takeaways one. from this season versus last? Oh yeah, season.
6: okay. I think you know up to this point, one of the big things is just you know we had a really tough early double overtime road game last year early in the season at Washington State and I thought we fought really hard but weren't able to kind of get over the hump and win that game. I think our first road test this year was another really tough hard road game at Missouri uh, but we found a way to get over the hump and come away with the win and I think the big thing I've noticed is just you know with a few extra birthdays for most of the players on our team and a little added experience um, you know we've we seem to make plays when we needed to really make plays. And, and maybe, you know, one year ago, you might just have one person out of position and, and not be able to, you know, execute down the stretch. And I, it seems like we've done a little bit better job of that when we needed to. Um, it's really no secret the other night, we really, we really struggled in the second quarter and scored four points. And, um, and I think one year ago, if we had a quarter like that offensively, we might let that dictate how we were playing on the other end of the ball. And um, I really feel like, you know, the other night we were able to hang in through a miserable offensive quarter because we only gave up eight points ourselves on the other end. And we had people like Nicaea Eliley kind of flying around and setting the tone for our team and really doing some things to stay hooked up so that we didn't dig ourselves a hole.
7: Chris, we appreciate the phone call, 866 Susker one if you'd like to talk to Coach Williams tonight. You talked about the win over SIUE, 64-39. You had all the alumni watching that. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Nice's game. You said in the post game that Nicaea Lily is someone who's playing with a true sense of urgency right now. In, in what ways is she doing that?
6: Well, when you see that she's had back-to-back double-doubles, Um, You know, I think um, really the first in her career. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that um, uh, just shows that sense. I mean, I think, you know, you know how active a player is if they're able to come away with double figure uh, rebounds. And she's just really been sparking our team with second effort plays and, and kind of really flying around. And I think that is the telltale sign of someone who's playing with a sense of urgency.
7: 866-Husker1. If you'd like to visit with Coach Williams tonight, 25 rebounds in the last two games combined for Nicaea Lyle. Um, When I look at her, she seems so comfortable in your offensive system compared to really two years ago, I would say. The difference between a sophomore and a senior is sometimes measurable, sometimes not. Her defense – unless you watch her every day, probably doesn't look that different because she's always been a defensive stopper. But – is that a fair assessment? Do you think that she seems pretty comfortable in your offensive flow right now?
6: Yeah, I think she does. I think she does, and it's it's you know it's fun to say that um, because you know we've been you know we know even even though right now I think you know one for nine or something from the three point line, but it doesn't even um, affect anything because she's still finds ways to be productive, and uh, we all know that um, she's incredibly capable, and it won't be too long before she's able to start. Uh, being a threat from behind the arc as well because we watched it during, um, you know, she's she's one of our most consistent scorers and shooters, um, you know, overall throughout all of August and the games in Europe and up through the preseason and up to this point. And so I think it just shows she's comfortable catch and shoot from behind the arc. She's way more comfortable with mid-range pull-up she's attacking the rim getting offensive rebound put backs and and you know driving to the basket I think just more comfortable with her ball handling but knowing you know where reads are going to be and and I would say uh, without question she's more comfortable as a as a senior in the program offensively and she's always really sparked our team on the defensive end.
7: All right, that'll wrap up Sports Nightly tonight. My thanks to uh, Coach Williams and all the callers tonight, 645 tomorrow night. Join Jeff Griesh and me, Nebraska and Southern U. Good night, Nebraska.